Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast. Louis DiBiase here joining you. What's up? Thursday edition of the show. We are continuing our ultimate NFC East crossover with Patricia Trina of Locked On Giants, Chris Russell of Locked On Redskins, and Marcus Mosher of Locked On Cowboys. Notice how I left the Cowboys for last because they are the most hated in Eagles Nation. So today what we're going to do, since Monday we took a focus on the Eagles, Tuesday we took a focus on the Cowboys, Wednesday the Giants, today we're going to take a look at the bottom feeder of the division right now, the Washington Redskins, and Kind of, I mean, because, you know, what we really talked about the last two shows is, all right, Dallas, they're probably the biggest competitor for the Eagles who are trying to to defend their NFC East crown in 2020. But a lot of question marks with Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Byron Jones, Randall Cobb. And then with the Giants, it's like, okay, they're not where Dallas is, but they've got a pretty bright future, too, with the offensive pieces they have around Daniel Jones. And then you look at Washington, there's some good stuff there with their new head coach, Ron Rivera, some great pieces up front on defense, on the defensive line. But outside of that, I mean, look, I love Terry McLaurin. Dwayne Haskins, though, I mean, to see the answer with this new coaching staff, the front office, and the ownership is still one of the worst in all of sports. It's very New York Knicks-esque. So we talked with Chris Russell, we talked with Patricia Traino once again and Marcus Mosher, and we all took an inside look at Washington and just how competitive they might be in 2020. So that's what's coming up right here on today's edition of Lockdown Eagles. But before we get into that, our lead story today on the Birds, the Eagles did not interview running back coach Deuce Staley for their vacant offensive coordinator position Now, they did not fill that spot. However, they were looking to hire an offensive coordinator. Joe Brady went to the Panthers. I think he was somebody the Eagles were interested in. They were very interested in Graham Harrell, who's USC's offensive coordinator. Mike Kafka, former Eagles quarterback, who is the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback coach. Uh, James Urban, the Ravens quarterback coach. So they were trying to fill that vacancy. Instead, they ended up going with a pass game and run game coordinator. They took a different route. They did not hire an OC. They promoted Press Taylor from quarterback coach. He's still the quarterback coach, but now he's the pass game coordinator as well. And then Deuce Staley got passed over for Jeff Stoutland, who is the run game coordinator. So my my take on this and not even considering Staley to be the number two behind Doug Peterson on the offensive coaching staff is, look, I think it's certainly unfortunate because I think he's an incredible coach for what he does, specifically coaching the run game. You look at the job he did with Miles Sanders, the leap Sanders took. He was making a huge impact through the air and in the pass blocking game the first half of the year, but on the ground, he was still struggling. You see how he was running the football the final eight weeks of the season. It was a tale of two seasons, and a lot of that was because of Deuce Staley, who Miles Sanders, a lot of these young guys, say is an extremely incredible motivator and almost like a father figure to a lot of these young players. He's incredible at player development, and that's something the Eagles don't have a lot of good coach. I think the two of the best personnel developers on this coaching staff are the run game guys, kind of, and Jeff Stoutland, who's the offensive line coach, and do Staley. So you just you look at the job he did with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott, Corey Clement in 2017. Heck, even Josh Adams and Wendell Smallwood last year, he got out of those guys way more than maybe their talent should have produced on the field. I do think he should be somebody that is atop your coaching staff in responsibility. However, I will say I don't think this is something that has to do with race. I think it's more so that Deuce Staley is so run game oriented. He's not a passing coach. And the league is going towards franchises really building their entire structure around throwing the football or on defense stopping throwing the football. 
you know, not just on the field at quarterback and building around that with incredible weapons at running back, tight end, wide receiver, investing in cornerback a lot on defense, but also the coaching staff. You want aggressiveness. You want offensive-minded head coaches, and you want offensive coordinators that when they're putting in the game plan, they're very pass-heavy. And that's why you see so many different guys like Mike Kafka and Joe Brady, all these young up-and-comers, Graham Harrell, get so many looks when it comes to coaching vacancies. And while Deuce Staley, incredible at what he does with the way the NFL is moving in the future, just does not seem like somebody that will be heavily considered for an offensive coordinator position, not just in Philadelphia, but really anywhere. However, that doesn't mean like he can never be a head coach. I think the way he's built, the, the type of coach he is, the motivator he is, the way he can develop players and get the most out of guys that maybe aren't the most talented – that's something, though, that I could see. There was an NFL source actually today that said they think Deuce Daly is more of a head coach than an offensive coordinator. So I could certainly see that. I do think it's unfortunate for Deuce because I think he has certainly earned a bigger responsibility with an organization, even if it's outside of Philadelphia right now. But I do get the logic with where the Eagles are going with their coaching staff. All right, let's take one quick break right here on the Locked On Eagles podcast. When we come back, we'll hear from Chris Russell of Locked On Redskins, Marcus Mosher of Locked On Cowboys, and Patricia Traina of Locked On Giants, as well as myself, taking a look at the last place team in the division, the Washington Redskins. Don't go anywhere. This is Locked On Eagles. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans across the globe, but you may not know that Locked On Eagles is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Eagles fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Eagles fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Lockdown Podcast. Local fans love to support local business. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockdownPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Lockdown Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockdownPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. And we welcome you to the NFC East Ultimate Division Crossover. I'm Chris Russell from Locked On Redskins, and I'm joined by my colleagues today as we've been doing this all week. First, we want to introduce Marcus Mosier from Locked On Cowboys, and then Patricia Trainer from Locked On Giants, and Louis DiBiase from Locked On Eagles. And guys, they say it's the NFC least, but you guys have brought it all week. Uh, with some thunder and some pain, so it's great once again to be with you guys as we discuss the East on this ultimate NFC East crossover. Yeah, Chris, I'm sorry. We've kind of been bashing on you each episode about your skin, so uh, (laughs) this is your moment to shine now and talk about maybe some sort of positives. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I remember the glory days, even though I wasn't around in the Washington, D.C. area. I watched plenty of games at RFK, and trust me, FedEx Field... Uh, as we, I think, all know, is anything but RFK Stadium. But hopefully with Ron Rivera, things will start to change around. And, guys, that's where we want to start. Um, listen, I think Ron Rivera was a, a surprisingly good hire. Uh, it checked a lot of boxes. I think we all kind of understand from afar what kind of guy Ron Rivera is and what he stands for, and he's going to change the culture. They have a lot of culture, trust me, to change over uh, from the stench of Bruce Allen. But I'm really curious from a 
divisional perspective, and we'll start maybe with Marcus uh, because the Redskins and the Cowboys have that you know longstanding traditional rivalry. How you guys view Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, and I guess to a lesser degree Scott Turner, Norb's kid, uh, as the new top three head honchos, if you will, of the Washington Redskins. Yeah, I think it was a smart hire from the Redskins. I think everybody you talk to uh, that has played under Ron Rivera or has coached with him absolutely loves him. Uh, I think his guys will play so hard for him. And when you look at that talent on the Washington defensive side of the ball, I think it's kind of scary what the potential of that team could be. Um, I think, I mean, again, this is me talking as a Cowboy fan here, but if you're looking for a team that could potentially make the, you know, the San Francisco 49ers jump from, you know, drafting two in the draft all the way to being a playoff contender, man, Washington looks like they have the pieces to potentially do that. They have a stable head coach now. Uh, I think they're going to get a star pass rusher in the draft. And you combine that with they have on the defensive line. I, I know it's weird to be optimistic about the Redskins, but I think things are looking up. <laughs> Patricia? I definitely agree. I love the Ron Rivera hire. Okay. I, no love for Washington. I, you know, that otherwise I have to turn in my Giants membership card here. <laughs> but uh, no, I love the hire. I've always had respect for Ron Rivera. You know, when he was let go by Carolina, you kind of saw it coming. I, and I don't know that necessarily was because, you know, he was a bad coach. I think it was just a case of him getting stale down there, needed a fresh start. Um, he was the guy that I hoped the Giants would hire. Um, of course, he, you know, Washington snapped him up. And I think that's one of, one of the smartest moves they could have made because this is a guy who does build good culture. He put together a good staff. Um, he's a guy who relates to his players, but who still keeps discipline and won't let the, you know, the quote unquote, um, you know, let the players run the locker room, so to speak. So I like the hire and I'm very interested to see what he brings to the table and how he brings his team into shape. Yeah, Washington is, it's an organization that really right now just needs structure. They need discipline and they just need, you know, security when it comes to their front office and their their coaching staff and Ron Rivera has proven he's won coach of the year multiple times. He's been to a Super Bowl. So I, I don't know, maybe it's a surprising move that Washington made that kind of decision, but based on what they've done in the past, but I, I thought it was a great hire in the off season and he Rivera for his defense has a lot to work with, especially up front. I, I really like what Washington has, you know, on the defensive line with of course, Ryan Kerrigan. And, you know, you look at Dayron Payne and, I was a big Montez Sweat guy last year. Love his athleticism. He ran like what a four 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 at the at the NFL Combine last yeah. year. Finished the yep. year with seven sacks, so he proved it on the field as well. And then of course Jonathan Allen. If you could add a Chase Young to that mix, I mean this is a this is a defense that they're going to come after some of these quarterbacks that are mobile, like Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, and Dak Prescott. Yeah, and, and also Matt Ioannidis is a part of that right. uh, group as well, and he benefits from all of those guys around him. Now, we don't know if they're going to keep Kerrigan uh, or let him go as he enters into the final year of his contract, had some injuries, a massive drop-off in production. But my sense is they'll keep him uh, because that's one guy that Ron Rivera wants to install as a locker room leader and culture. And, you know, if he's healthy, he can still be a very productive uh, pass rusher. Guys, um before we take a quick time out, so we'll just go you know, around the table here, I'm curious what you all made of Dwayne Haskins. I'll just tell you from my perspective, I mean, he couldn't have started off any worse. Patricia, you remember week four at MetLife Stadium. He was 
he was not only, you know, obviously was not supposed to play in that game, but he was completely unprepared. And he did not take his job, uh, according to many that I've talked to and according to what, you know, many I, I witnessed, you know, he did not take his job seriously. And he got better and he got more dedicated to his craft as the season went along. And he had some big games uh, at the end before some injuries caught up to him. But what was your guys's? Uh, general perspective, and we'll start with Patricia for the uh, Locked on Giants. Yeah, I thought in the beginning, Haskins came in very immature, and I'll tell you, that was one of the concerns I had with him coming out of Ohio State. He had really the one year as a starter, and I wondered about the maturity, and then, you know, here he was, he gets to the draft, and then you're hearing about him hosting a draft party, and then he's becoming this brand, and I'm sitting there saying to myself, yo, slow it down, man, you know, <laughs> establish yourself as a quarterback and then worry about all that stuff. And, and I, and I just wonder, you know, and then there were reports out of Washington that he wasn't taking the job seriously, that he wasn't studying and doing all the things that a quarterback needs to do. And, you know, for the, thank goodness for the, you know, for Washington fans, the light went on and he started to take the job seriously and realized that, Hey, before I can go off and be a brand and do this and do that, I've got to, be a quarterback and I think that was the turning point for him. Uh, let me jump in here too. I think Haskins, you know, it was a pretty brutal start to um, his career. He had four interceptions before he threw a, a passing touchdown in the league and yeah, the immaturity was something. I just think the mental clock it just was not working fast enough, you know, going through progressions inside the pocket. And then maybe all it took was the terrible Philadelphia Eagles secondary to kind of wake him up and snap him into this <laughs> development because when the Eagles needed to win a game, they did barely beat the Redskins, but Haskins completed almost 68% of his throws. He had 261 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He follows that up against the Giants with two touchdowns, no picks again, 80% completion percentage. So, I mean, Haskins at the end, I think he showed a little bit of light. There's some hope there because if, you know, he doesn't have those final two performances, I think Washington would be, I mean, I think you should still be concerned about it. I don't think you should be as optimistic as maybe the Giants with Daniel Jones, but he did show a glimmer of potential at the end there. And maybe all it took was Ronald Darby and uh, Jalen Mills. Yeah. I think with, I was gonna say, I think with Haskins is you're just looking for improvement. And I think that's what you saw. Uh, You guys all mentioned the the awful start, but what I, what I look at is those final four games, he had a passer rating of almost a hundred. He looked more confident and considering, you know, how weird the year was for Washington in terms of firing your head coach uh, midway through it. Um, I, I thought he looked okay at the end, and that's that gives you hope. He, again, he's only 22 years old. Uh, you know, now that maybe there's some stability there in Washington with the coaching staff, I'm sure that'll help. Uh, they need to continue to add to their wide receiver core, find somebody who compliment Terry McLaurin. Uh, but I think for the most part, I think you had to be encouraged with, with what you saw over the final month of the season. All right, guys, why don't we take a uh, timeout, and then we'll come back and wrap up this show, and we'll continue to focus on the Redskins. I'm joined by Louis DiBiase of Locked On Eagles, Patricia Trena of Locked On Giants, and Marcus Mosher of Locked On Cowboys. This is the NFC East Ultimate Crossover. We're focusing on the Washington Redskins. And we're back on the Ultimate NFC East Division Crossover, once again joined by Marcus Mosher of Locked On Cowboys, Patricia Trena of Locked On Giants, and Louis DiBiase of Locked on Eagles. I'm Chris Russell here, of course, of Locked on Redskins. So, guys, we kind of touched on it uh, in terms of the defense of the Redskins. Uh, and, you know, they certainly have some pieces. And you would think, right, by adding 
um, Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera, two defensive minds, when everybody seems to be always trending offense, 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 do you guys think that the Redskins by, you know, of course they doubled down by going two defensive minds. We knew they were going to have a defensive coordinator, but a defensive head coach and having that double tag team, if you will, uh, of defensive brain power. Do you think that is a good thing uh, in terms of the, the trend of the NFL, or do you think it's typical Redskins kind of counterculture and not doing something that really makes sense? Uh, I'll go ahead and start. I, you know, I think this is an exception because we've seen Ron Rivera, uh, you know, coach some really good teams in Carolina. He took the Panthers to the Super Bowl. Uh, they have one of the best offenses in the league there. I think the reason why the Redskins hired Rivera is because he's a leader of men. Uh, and that's, again, that's really the biggest part of this coaching job is being able to convince these players that your scheme is going to work, uh, that you're going to be able to go out there and beat the opponent. Um, so, yeah, well, it's weird that a lot of these teams are going to offensive-minded coaches. Rivera's established enough, uh, and he's good enough at, at specifically what he does uh, with the players on the defensive side of the ball that I think it's going to work. Yeah, I look at Washington, and I don't know. For me, I think I would like to build my staff with – offense as really the strength I think there's also an aggression to I don't know sometimes I feel like defensive coaches know that they or they want to rely on their defense and sometimes maybe that brings in a bit of a conservative style sometimes so that's why for me I prefer offensive guys as my you know core of the organization but I do agree with Marcus though I think this is an exception because Ron Rivera with Washington specifically not just with all the the ownership issues and the front office stuff but we talked about the immaturity of Dwayne Haskins last year this is a very young team, you look at their defensive line, and you look at their wide receiver core, I mean, Terry McLaurin, Kelvin Harmon at running back, if Darius Geis is healthy, you know, Dwayne Haskins. This is a team that needs, a like Marcus said, a leader of men. They need stability, and Ron Rivera is a proven head coach that has won, has made a Super Bowl, has made multiple deep playoff runs, and has won Coach of the Year consistently. So, um, I, I do, I would prefer an offensive head coach, but I think this is certainly an exception in Washington, just with their organization, their needs. I think Ron Rivera is a perfect fit. And Patricia, obviously, the Giants did something a little bit out of the box, too. So, uh, you know, you can kind of develop some or deliver some kind of cross-pollination here, if you will, in terms of the experience of hiring a non-offensive, pure offensive head coach. Well, you know, I look at the, the some of the key stats of Washington's defense. I believe they were... The, they had the highest third down conversion rate yep. allowed. Mm-hmm. I believe mm-hmm. they were 27th overall defensively. So, you know, they have some great pieces, I think, on both sides of the ball. But sometimes you just have to kind of step back and shake things up a little bit. You know, yes, it, it's important to develop the Haskins in that offense. But you you got to give the defense some love, you know. And, and I think just bringing in defense, you know, Rivera, defensive-minded coach, Jack Del Rio, uh, those are two very good coaches. If I'm not mistaken, I think Del Rio uh, was on uh, – I'm trying to remember what team it was that they went to the uh, playoffs. So he's always had some good uh, defenses in the past. And, yeah. you know, just sometimes you just have to kind of say, okay, it's it, it goes back to the staff that you're building. And, you know, people say, okay, well, look, offense, you know, you got to score, obviously. Well, what's the old saying? Defense wins championships. Mm-hmm. So, or, so you know, I, I think it's actually refreshing to see 
Washington think outside the box, just the way the Giants have with hiring a coach that, you know, doesn't have alliance to one side or the other ball. And just hoping that, you know, in, in the case of the Giants, I know Joe Judge is going to, you know, Matt, he, he's going to be a CEO style head coach. That's what Rivera is going to probably be down there in Washington. He's going to manage everything. He's not going to get so tied up in one side of the ball. And we've seen that happen where a coach gets so tied up with one side of the ball that the other side lacks, mm-hmm. or you know, situations, game clock management or whatever. And, and you know, it's I think it's just a great approach personally. Um, you know, and I can just add in, you know, Del Rio as a head coach is, you know, a 50-50 proposition, right? In Oakland, Jacksonville, but he's made the playoffs a couple of times, uh, and he's developed some real good talent. But as a defensive coordinator, and there's been four years of a sample size with that three in Denver, you know, he had Von Miller. He didn't draft Von Miller. He got there the year after Von Miller was the number two overall pick. But they put together a whale of a defense uh, there, and he did draft way back when in Carolina, ironically, before Ron Rivera got there. Julius Peppers with the number two overall pick. And, guys, that leads us uh, to, I guess, you know, my main last question, and then we'll try and get in another one if we have time, is with the number two overall pick, everybody is kind of focused on Chase Young. But here's my question for all three of you. If you were the Redskins and if the Miami Dolphins offered you three first-round picks or the Jacksonville Jaguars of the Las Vegas Raiders, who have multiple first-round picks, say, offered you their two first-round picks and maybe a, a second-round pick or multiple thirds. And remember, the Redskins do not have a second-round pick right now because of the Montez sweat trade the last year to move back into the first round. What would you guys do if, if a team was offering, again, two first-round picks and then more for that number two overall pick, would you stay there and draft Chase Young, yeah. or would you trade down? I would certainly consider. I mean, look, Chase Young is an incredible prospect, and he is someone that, you know, if you add to that defensive line, like quarterbacks are, are going to fear playing Washington. But at the same time, we kind of talked about it in the first segment early on. I mentioned a lot of the young pieces and the really productive pieces you guys have up front already. If I could get a haul where I can get multiple first round picks I I really like this draft and I think man if I can move back and I can grab a I don't know let's say you want to double down at receiver and you want to continue to build around Dwayne Haskins with a CD Lamb or a Jerry Judy type and you can have another pick and you could get maybe a if you still want a pass rusher a Clavon Chazen from LSU crazy upside as well length burst off the line of scrimmage and you move down and you collect multiple prospects like that and a second, a day two pick, I think it would be really hard to have a problem with that if you're a Redskins fan. Yeah, I'm with Louie on that. If, if I get that opportunity to trade down and collect more assets, I take it. You know, Chase Young is a tremendous player. He's a generational player. But if you can add another receiver, if you can, you know, grab your pass rusher in day two, if you can add an offensive tackle, this is an offensive tackle rich class, which I believe, you know, Washington needs, I would do it and I wouldn't even think twice about it. Marcus? Uh, this one's hard for me because I think Chase Young is, like you guys mentioned, a generational pa- talent, and I don't think you pass up on generational talent. Uh, when you look at what Washington has on that defensive line with Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Matt Ioannidis and Montez Sweat and Ryan Kerrigan, it, it's hard not to want to put Chase Young with those guys and just go out and try to shut everybody down to 14 sure. points mm-hmm. a game. I'm not giving up that trans, you know, the generational guy at you know, six foot six, 265 pounds that can get me 14, 16, maybe 18 sacks a season. Uh, I'm not passing up on it there. He, he's just too good of a player, uh, too rare of a player to, to get at number two. Hard to argue with that. Well, 
Yeah, the other, the, you know, the other thing that, as we all know, right, and you just listed, Mark, is all the talent and the Redskins have in the front seven, and they're going, you know, from a 3-4 to a 4-3, even though, you know, I think that's overrated because you're in sub, you know, 65, 70% of the time anyway, and so does Jack Del Rio, by the way. I uh, think it's overrated. But, you know, you know you, you, when you can send this array of pass rushers, you know, A, you can cover up for injuries, which are going to happen over the course of a long season. B, you can really wear out an offensive line, at, you know, that's on the field for 65, 70 uh, snaps a game, and guys make mistakes the, the longer a game goes. Uh, and then also you can cover up for a spotty secondary, which is how I would very much describe uh, the Washington Redskins. All right, I'd like one last one. We'll do it really quick. Were you guys rooting? Were you? I want to know this. Be honest. Were you guys rooting for Bruce Allen, uh, who, who orchestrated a d- decade of disaster around here? Were you guys rooting for Bruce Allen to stay or get fired? I was enjoying what Washington was doing every year from an Eagles perspective. So let's just say it's the right decision, but one from a Philadelphia standpoint, no. I would prefer him to uh, have been employed as long as Daniel Snyder wanted him to. As I say, my thing is, uh, does it really matter if Dan Snyder's your owner? I mean, does it really, really matter? (laughs) True. Fair point. I I got to agree with Louie. I mean, from from was it the right decision? Absolutely, but look, any advantage you can get in this division because right now the talent I think is so I think the teams are just so close together. There's really no runaway winner. I mean, if you look at the last several years how a different team has won it every, you know, every other year, it's been a different champion. Uh why why allow Washington to, to step up and, you know, make a run for it? But I think now they're going to. I think they're going to get be a lot better. They're going to make a lot better decisions. And and uh, I, I'm concerned. Let's put it that way. All right, Patricia, take us around the horn. Uh, let the fans know, for everybody that doesn't know, and they should, where they can he- hear you and where they can read you. Sure. I'm at Patricia underscore Traina, T-R-A-I-N-A on Twitter. And you can find my written work at GiantsCountry.com, which is an SI.com NFL channel. And Louie? You can hit me up on Twitter at DBASI, L-O-E. Our podcast is on any platform or on LockdownEagles.com. And my written content is up at 97.3 ESPN. And I'm at, yep, I'm at Marcus underscore Mosier. You can follow my co-host, uh, Landon at McCoolBCB, and then we're at Locked On Cowboys on Twitter as well. All right, guys, uh, this has been a lot of fun doing these four teams uh, throughout the week as we have done it. Uh, but you know what? We've got one more day of this ultimate NFC East crossover. So why don't you? Why don't we say you know what? We're going to do this again, but we're going to do it from a big picture perspective, and we're going to ask them. More cool questions. How's that sound, guys, for a Friday? Absolutely. Sounds good to me. Yep. All right, let's do it. Thanks, everybody. Redskins, Giants, Eagles, and Cowboy fans for listening. This is the ultimate NFC East crossover right here on the Locked On Podcast Network.